It's a day to celebrate this great nation. It's not a perfect nation, but it's a nation that we're blessed to live in. It really is. From sea to sea to sea, Canada is, is an incredible place to live. We're going to be singing the anthem at the end of the service. We're going to just kind of bookend the, the, the service with that. We're going to sing O Canada. And I've actually captured the, the title for this message from one of the, the lines from the lyrics of the anthem. And the line goes, God keep our land glorious and free. God keep our land. You know, there, there may come a day when the idea of God and his rulership will probably be extracted from our anthem. I hope it's not, but there may come a day that that happens. It, it, it could happen the way things are going, but for today, we can still sing, God keep our land. God keep our land glorious and free. In fact, we can pray, God keep our land glorious and free. And let's, let's pray for our country. Let's pray for our leaders, both provincial and federal. Let's, as believers, as followers of Christ, I believe that we're also called to be present in a nation that may not even appreciate that we're here. And I, and I say that not to be antagonistic, but just, just to say there may come a day that we're not as appreciated even as we are now. Because there's a sense of us as believers that, that we bring something of the kingdom of God to the dominion of Canada. God keep our land. You know, whether our government supports a church or rejects it, whether the legal system stands up for the, our beliefs or not, whether we're embraced or repelled, we can still present, still be present, and we can still be a positive influence in our nation and the world. God, keep our land. I just want to pause and pray there for a second. God, we come before you humbly acknowledging your lordship, your, your dominion, your rulership over us and over this country and over the world and the universe. And God, as we explore your word this morning, Lord, I pray you'd stir something in our hearts of your desire to see your kingdom come and your will be done in this city, in our lives, in this province, in this country, in our world, Lord God, that your will be done. God, keep our land. Lord, we, we, we place it in your care. We, we, we surrender it to you, Lord. We surrender its leaders. We surrender its people to you. God, knowing that under your care, under your rulership, under your um, dominion, Lord God, we are blessed. And we experience the, the, the wholeness of God in, in a way that we can't any other way. So, Lord, have your way in this service. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God, keep our land. There's, there's a letter recorded in the Old Testament. It was written by the prophet Jeremiah. And it's written to the nation of Israel at a very bad time in their history. They had been disobedient to God, and, and through that disobedience, they were completely overrun by the invading armies of the Babylonians. It was not good for them. They had been conquered. They had been dispersed throughout different places. They'd been taken as captives into Babylon by the armies. Let's just say it was not good. They were slave labor in the region. They were carried, it was like it was against their will. They were di displaced, they were deported, and they were in a mess. And I want to pick up the story in Jeremiah chapter 20, 29, starting at verse 1 and going through to verse 13. So Jeremiah chapter 29. And remember, this is, this is a letter from the prophet who is speaking. He's, he's received a word from God. And he's communicating that to people that are exiled in Babylon. And so we'll get into that. It's a, it's 
Um, it's one of those places that the scripture is really spelled out here. So I'm just going to read it out of the scripture because he explains himself and it's, it's pretty clear. So it starts in Jeremiah chapter 29, starting at verse 1. And I'm going to read from the NIV. And uh, it's an older version of the NIV, but it's, uh, it's up on the screens as well. So it says, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and the priests and the prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Okay, so that's who wrote it, where it went, and who it was to. <laughs> then it says, this was after King Jehoiachin and the queen mother and the court of the officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. All right, like that's, that's a pretty impressive list of people. That's the people, from the, that's the people from the palace. That's your community leaders. That's your policymakers. That's your artists. That's like, that's all these, like kind of the, the, the leaders and shakers of the community had been taken into captivity. In verse 3, it says, He entrusted the letter to Elisha, son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, from Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And it said, I thought I might get some applause for that. You try saying those letters that way. It's like, man, I didn't even pause. Come on, people. <clears throat> this is what the Lord Almighty said, the God of Israel. He says to those I carried in the exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, making it clear. This is what Lord, the Lord said to them. Verse 5, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Marry, have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons to give to your daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters and increase in number there, do not decrease. Now, that may seem kind of trivial to us, right? It's like, okay, well, that's, that's just pretty straightforward. But think about this. Reading that now, I mean, that's no big deal. But to those exiles, this was not good news. It's like, it's like, what do you mean? They had been taken from their homeland and dumped in Babylon. They weren't looking to settle down. They weren't looking to build houses. They weren't looking to get married. They were looking to go back to Jerusalem. This described a significant period of time for them. It was multiple generations, like have kids so that they can get married and have kids. Like 70 years, that would have been a couple of generations. It's like, so having been exiled into a foreign land, telling them to settle down was like a kid having a tantrum and telling them to settle down, right? It's like, it's probably <laughs> not going to work. So he continues, as if that wasn't enough. Verse 7, he says, also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it pro prospers, you too will prosper. He says, the, fitty, this, the city that you find yourself in should be a better place because you're in it. God, keep our land. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you, enc you encourage them to have. They're prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. But this is what the Lord says. When 70 years, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and I will fulfill my gracious promises to bring you back to this place. For I know, God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. 
plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you'll call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, says the Lord. You will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Incredible scripture. We often go to that Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the promises I have for you. But listen to it in context, and we start in verse 1. They were in exile. He says, get comfortable, plant gardens, eat what they produce. See, the exiled nation of Israel, they were the people of God in a foreign land. They were among the Babylonians. It was a foreign culture with foreign gods. They were exiles. They were POWs. They were prisoners of war. Israel was a nation whose identity and prosperity were tied to the promise of land. Like, we, we don't quite understand that as much, but the promise that God made to Abraham, who was the father of the nation, so God speaks to Abraham, and he says, you know, I will make you a great nation, and I will give you the land, and he goes down through and he describes all this land. So part of the blessing of God was the land, and now they found themselves ripped from that land and placed in exile. Being in exile was a big deal. And it would have been an identity crisis for them, too, because it's like suddenly they were a people without a country in some, some respects. Now, you would hope in that case, you would expect God would say, you know, that he would rend the heavens, that he would come down, smite the enemy, and, it'd be all, and deliver them, and it would be all good. That's not the way he went about it this time. He set them free in a different way. The prophet Jeremiah tells them to do something completely unexpected. And it's pretty cool in a lot of ways. He tells them to pray for their captors. He tells them to pray for Babylon. Ask God to prosper the nation that has effectively deported you. And not only that, he says, you know, be established. Get established in Babylon. You're going to be there for a while. And he references the couple of generations. But God has plans, right? He tells them, he's like, I got a plan. We're going to work the plan. It's a good plan. Let's make sure it happens. He plans, the plans for them are to bring hope in a future. It's not that deliverance isn't coming. It's just that it's in God's timetable, not theirs. Sometimes that's the hardest thing. When God's timetable and ours does not line up, oh, his message to them was be present and be a blessing. Pray to God to prosper the city that you're in. You know, there was a time that probably some people would have described Canada as a Christian nation. Like, um, now, Christian roots are, are not portrayed in our heritage as much as it is with our southern neighbors, but it is still seen as a bit of a foundational aspect to our country's humble beginnings. Okay, so there's like, there was God was involved. Now, no matter how deep you feel that these roots might have gone, the idea of Canada being a Christian nation now is a thing of the past. We live in a very postmodern culture with postmodern values. It's no longer kind of rooted in a Judeo-Christian worldview. It's just not the case. That's not the lens that's used. That's a challenge. It really is. That's, that, that makes a difference in how we live. But the truth of the matter is, you don't become a Christian by living in a Christian country. You become a Christian by accepting Jesus into your life and having a personal relationship with the Savior. That makes you a Christian. Now, the impact that you can have on a country is by being a Christian in that country, not by being in a Christian nation. 
So as we look at that, whether the nation is built on biblical principles or not, it doesn't diminish the power of God to transform lives through his people. So whether Canada is considered a Christian nation, or the U.S. is considered a Christian nation, or whether it's considered a postmodern or whatever you want to call it, a secular nation, regardless of that, the impact that we can have as believers is just the same and perhaps even more. Let me just say that there's this comparison that I want to make between what was going on in the Old Testament and the followers of Christ that we find in the New Testament that are described there. There's, there's a letter that was written by Peter, one of the followers of Christ, one of the twelve. And so he writes this letter. So he's writing to them um, not as exiles per se, in some ways, but not really at home either. All right, so kind of strangers in a strange land. We know that we have a home in God's kingdom. I'm so thankful for that. I, I'm, um, I'm an alien. I'm a stranger. And some people are going, yeah, you got that one right. Right? It's, but it's because I know that my citizenship is above not only Canadian. We're called to be here. We're called to settle down. We're called to think and live generationally and to pray for the city that we find ourselves in. It's pretty cool. It's quite a call. It's, it's interesting that we have that kind of mandate over us. I, so I want to I note some of the parallels between Jeremiah's words to Israel. So the, Jeremiah the prophet wrote the letter to these group of people and the letter that Peter wrote, 1 Peter, words in the New Testament to the church scattered by persecution during the first century. At this point in history, this letter was written to the, the folks that Peter wrote it to. Jesus would have already come, lived his life, did his ministry, crucified and risen. So Jesus had, had already saved the world, so to speak. So he had, he had done his thing, gone back to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit. And this is in the time following that, basically in the age that we live in now, where, where Jesus has come and sent his Holy Spirit. These were the days of the early church under the big foot of Rome. I want to pick it up in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Again, I'm going to read from the older version of the NIV. Only because that's what's on my computer. It makes it easy for me to cut and paste. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Thinking in the context of, of Jeremiah. It starts with Peter. An apostle of Christ, that's the guy that wrote it, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So this is much like God's elect in the Exodus that Jeremiah was writing to. It's described more in a spiritual context rather than political. But understand kind of the parallel. Verse 2 says, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of his spirit for obedience to Christ Jesus and sprinkling by his blood, grace, peace be yours in abundance. God's chosen people that were scattered because of persecution. All right, so they had been in Jerusalem. That was where the whole thing started. There was the core group of people there. And because of the persecution, they were spread out through the, the then known world. Parallels to Babylonia. Verses, verse 3. It goes on to say, praise be to God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, fade, kept in heaven for you. Who, though through faith, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. There's a living hope, an inheritance yet to be revealed. It's so similar to, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future, a living hope and an inheritance. He goes on in verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice. All right, you've got this inheritance. You've got this promise. You rejoice in that promise. Though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Getting dispersed is not a fun thing. These have come, there's a reason, these have come that your faith, greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ Jesus is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you're filled with an inexpressible, glorious joy. For you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Praise God. Thank God for his word. Your faith is resulting in the salvation of your souls. He's saying you live in a world with trials, but your faith will be rewarded. It may seem kind of hostile even at times, but your faith will be rewarded. So he goes on in verse 13 and he says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Christ Jesus is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in arrogance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges every man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear to live for him. Live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. It's interesting. To live as strangers is not to live hostile but different. To live as strangers in the land, it's to live differently as strangers, different language, different culture, different set of values, to be strangers in the land. It doesn't necessarily mean hostile in the land. It means different. And it's interesting he talks about being holy. God is holy. And we talk about holiness a lot, but it's like holiness, one of the ways to describe that is set apart for divine purpose. So, so, the, so holiness a lot of times is about the purpose of something. It's recognizing its value and what it's purposed for. Set apart for God's glory. And it goes on to says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. That's Jeremiah writing to the exiles. But he says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you. Many times, when we look at the situation and the culture that we live in, there's different ways that we can kind of process that. 
when we look at maybe some of the laws that come down the pike, when we look at some of the things that we have to deal with, no matter where we live, but different, different things that don't seem to add up from our Christian values, there's different ways that we can approach that. We can either take that as an excuse. That's one way we can look at it. It's like, well, I'm just going to go into hiding, and I'm just going to make sure that, you know, me and my kids... We make it to heaven. It's like so. We're gonna we're gonna take a a defensive posture here, and we're going to we're gonna withdraw, and uh, we're gonna become monks or monkettes, and, uh, and I was gonna say a different word, but I couldn't think of none. I know some of you will get it. It's okay. But we can either withdraw. Or we can, we can choose to actually be present. Like, so, so we can make that as an excuse not to engage, or we can actually look at the environment that we're in to say, hey, I can make a difference here. Jesus describes this when he's talking to his followers, because remember, when this was, was the, when this was all getting underway, as Jesus was developing this, right? They were, they were still not accepted. In fact, when Christianity was being birthed, when Jesus came, it's like the Jewish establishment didn't know what to do with them. The Roman government didn't know what to do with them. The Greeks didn't know what to do with them. So they were kind of, again, they were a people without a country. And so even in the midst of that, Jesus is saying, guys, just hunker down until I get back. No. He says, as he speaks to them in Matthew, Jesus begins this, this great time of teaching, and it starts with what we call the Beatitudes, blessed are those, and, and it goes down through that. And then he says to him, he says to his followers, he recognizes the darkness, right? But then he says to his followers, he says, you're the light of the world. You're like a city on a hill that can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, you put, put it on a stand so it gives light for everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. It's like, if you're in a dark room, light makes a huge difference. <laughs> And it doesn't take much. And it dispels the darkness. So the darker the room, the more the light shows. And Jesus was saying, he says, guys, yeah, you're, you're living in a time where there's lots of crisis, there's lots of persecution, there's lots of stuff going on. But he says, you guys are light. And where you show up, that light matters. How you live your life matters. The good dude, the good dudes, gosh. Rewind brain, engage tongue, good deeds, and pray that you do. The good deeds that you do shine light, and they make a difference. It's okay to laugh at your pastors. Good, good dudes. I can think of a few, but I won't. I want, us to, I want to draw your attention to the screens. We're going to watch a video. You'll probably recognize the voice on this video. It was produced by the National Office. And, and this video is um, it's based upon our Canadian anthem, but a verse of it that we very rarely see, sing. And, so, and that'll get explained in the video. But it talks about the voice that we have and the opportunity to use it. So rather than explain it, I draw your attention to the screen. Words are important. The words we say, the words we sing, 
the words we write, they all have significance, they all have importance. God used words to create everything. Words have power to inspire, to emote, and even to hurt. Words also grant us freedom. In Canada, they give us the freedom to worship, to be free in our religious practice without fear of persecution. In the Bible, God spoke these words. And these. You see, words are important. The words we speak, the words we sing, those that we pray. And even the words that are left unspoken also have significance. Like these. Part of the original poem from which our national anthem was affirmed included that verse and others. We don't sing those words very often. Today, consider the words that you have the freedom to use, but don't. Consider the moments that you could share words of faith, words of love, to those around you. Are you sharing in this glorious and free nation the love of Christ? What better way to demonstrate our commitment to Christ and to those neighbors whom we love than to share words of faith? I love technology. Great video. In the original, there's, there was supposed to be the words to the anthem overlaid with the pictures. And um, I don't have them in my notes, so I can't actually even tell you what they are. But the message of the video still remains. That we live in a country where we have the freedom to express ourselves and to share words of faith. And the idea behind it, where I want to land with this, is this idea that Christian citizens carry the kingdom of God into the kingdoms of this world. We're, we're ambassadors, we're envoys, we're advocates of justice, mercy, truth, love, faith. You see, this room is full of world changers because of what God has called us to do and who he's called us to be and what we can walk in in him. And you don't have to have status to have influence. Sometimes we look to titles and we look to positions. But think about it. It might be the, room, the mom in this room that all the other moms look up to. Because you don't, you're not perfect, but you seem to be able to carry something that they want because you're trusting in God. And even in the midst of the turmoil of parenting, you, you know how to tap into something that's bigger than yourself. It could be the parents that, that, you know, half of the block shows up to your house because it's a place that's safe, that's fun, that there's peace and there's joy, that the love of God is there. And they can't quite explain it, 
but they can't stay away. It, it could be the person that recognizes the needs of immigrants that, that are arriving in our city with culture shock and questions, and they're, they're here, like, struggling even with the minus 20-some degree temperatures that they sometimes get dropped into. And, and maybe you're there and you're that person that has answers, that you have support and you can direct them to the things that they need and the things that they understand. And I thank God that we have that kind of a church where there's people here that recognize that and step out and, and they do these things. It could be maybe you're a, a Christian business person, a, a Christian teacher, a Christian lawyer, politician, and yes, that's not a contradiction in terms. You could be in leadership. Regardless of political stripes, we can exert influence in the area of policymakers and leaders because of the anointing of God and, and the values that we carry as Christian whatevers. Like that Christian whoever you are, that Christian doctor, that Christian mom, that Christian dad, that Christian school person, that Christian whatever, you carry something because of the name of Christ. God, keep our land. When we think about that as who we are, it's like, God, keep our land. Let's be the kind of people that make this city a better place because we live in it. Let's be carriers of the kingdom of God into the kingdom that we live in. Well, it's not a kingdom, it's a dominion. But either way, do you know what I'm saying? Like, make the leap that because of who we are and who God has called us to be, we can do that. We can walk in the authority of the name of Jesus we can be salt. We can be light. We can carry hope. Oh, the city needs hope. It needs truth. It needs the love of God that transcends. It needs the freedom that comes from knowing where we belong. And we belong here this morning. We belong in our city this morning. We belong in his kingdom this morning through what he's done in us and through us and desires to continue to do in us and through us, in faith, word, and deed. It's incredible. We're about to go into communion here, and um, I just ask that, that the team would begin to, to, to prepare for that, but it's really amazing to be a part of what God is doing in our city, it's, it's an incredible thing to belong to that. It's a great place to live. It's a great place to serve. It's a great place to belong. And we belong in God's kingdom as believers. And one of the ways that we celebrate belonging to God's kingdom is through what we call communion. You're like, hmm? Yeah, through communion. It's a chance to remember the price that was paid for us so that we can belong. It's a way to identify with God's sacrifice and be grateful for all that it brings. We can belong. So, so what it is is communion is a chance for us to remember Christ's sacrifice, and we, and we do this monthly here at this church. Our teams, as they come, they're going to pass out the emblems. There's the juice and the bread. And, and if you're a believer here this morning, you're welcome to join in communion with us. It doesn't matter if you're visiting. You don't have to be part of this church. If you're a believer this table is for you, and this chance for you, is for you to be involved. If you've been here for years and years and years, it's all good. So please hold the juice and the, and the bread until we've all received it, and then we're going to lead you through that. So we just ask, ask the team to begin to, to distribute that. Can we stand together? God, I thank you for your faithfulness. 
I thank you for your word. I thank you for this land that we can live in. And God, as we even partake in communion, God, our prayer is God, keep our land glorious and free. God, keep us in the midst and in the middle of what you're doing. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together.